If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make your podcast. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's free. You pay no fee whatsoever. It's absolutely, totally free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And most of all, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. Well, the most important thing is that you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Well, what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. What are you waiting for? Go ahead and subscribe and make your own podcast. It's free. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast Self-Evolution Regardless. I'm your host, Maramber Homa, and I welcome you to listen to this podcast about narcissism in general, toxic relationships, and ways to deal with them and to save ourselves, but most importantly, seek self-evolution regardless of the abuse. I hope you enjoy and find this episode and the upcoming ones enjoyable and insightful in any way shape or form and i thank you very much for listening now let's get started welcome everyone to a new episode of the podcast self-evolution regardless and today's episode we're going to be talking about attachment styles what i mentioned earlier that i would uh an episode about and here you go an episode on attachment styles this episode will be inspired from healingtraumacenter.com that's healingtraumacenter.com and very much inspired by psychotherapists him or herself and i love the amount of thoroughness and in-depth this person goes uh, through with this t- topic because honestly I think it's kind of complicated to understand from the first glance but he or she explained it very well and I appreciate that a lot and uh, so let's begin without any further ado first style of attachment is securely attached adults and this is gonna be the goal I think or we all think that everyone should seek to achieve secure healthy attachment with parents who are consistent attuned present and safe offers the holding environment that allows for healthy relating and bonding absolutely it's the healthiest most productive and fulfilling kind of attachment that is gonna facilitate the social interactions in all sorts Sorry, in all sorts of situations in the workplace, at school, in their career, and in romantic relationships, and even with children, if they one day become parents. So, let's begin. They have basic trust in self and others from good enough parenting, the kind of parenting that will always remind their children that they are good enough, no matter... 
what it is they do. No matter how much effort they put in, they're always praised and reminded that they are good enough, which is extremely important for the self-esteem of children. Number two, our well-attuned to others can stay present for a connection and be aware when something is off. And that is extremely important because unlike the next ones we're going to see, brace yourself because it's going to be a little terrifying, especially for the very last one, um, to hear and very painful to hear, honestly. But being present is extremely important for the maintenance of a healthy relationship that is consistent and fulfilling. And the awareness of something being off and the fact that there is transparency and there is human communication and discussion when things are off and they're basically mended easily and with a lot of security and safety. Number three, they can be present in life and in relationships in an embodied way. Number four, have strong self-esteem and are respectful of others which is automatic. Number five, practicing, oh, practice initiating and receiving repair attempts when needed. And it is a mutual fair exchange, exchange of repair attempts. Sorry, that, that came out, uh, unintentionally. <laughs> I never knew I could whistle with my tongue. I don't know. Number six, most of the time think, feel, and express feedback to and about their partner in the positive way, which is awesome. Honestly, it's one of the things that one should, uh, you know, seek to accomplish. Number seven, can leave unhealthy and or abusive relationships relatively easy with confidence that they will be okay. That is truly impressive and very, very self-loving. Number eight, do not endure bad situations and know they deserve to be well-treated. Absolutely. Number nine, are clear about their own needs and express their needs directly. Number ten, address difficulties in relationship when conflict needs to be worked out. And also the way that difficulties are addressed in this relationship when conflict needs to be worked out is through assertiveness and through taming of not the shrew but of feelings and with mutual understanding from both partners and the goal to basically work out a solution for the problem. Number 11, are not afraid to be alone. Number 12, feel compassion for themselves and others when there is suffering because they're warm and empathetic. They saw and, and lived that empathy coming from their parents, so they're going to be empathetic with themselves and the people who are suffering around, so that is a huge plus. And number 13, they are mature in their responses and relationships and orient most often to the adult ego state as their identity. So the goal of this work is to return to our inherent secure attachment. It is inherent, actually. 
As adults, even though we may have had difficult attachment disruptions as children. Number two, avoidant attachment. This is much, a little, a little rough on the edges. Uh, okay, so let's start. Unavailability, hostility, and lack of fulfillment from caregivers in the avoidant attachment model can result in a feeling that relationships and intimacy are difficult, are so difficult that we tend to stay on the sidelines. Perhaps a major disconnection from relationships is a source of comfort in life. And that's how we understand avoided, avoidant attachment. We need to create enough safety and presence for an avoidant person to risk reaching out again in adult relationships after the intolerable frustrations, hurt, and unavailability they experienced as children. We must also honor that to not feel and to dismiss others was the strategy that helped them survive childhood, unfortunately. Number one symptom. Avoidant attached adults. Avoid and move away from the true intimacy and relationships. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. And number two. Minimizes the importance of relationships in life. Sad. Number three, lives on their own, which is a mental adaption versus a conscious choice of the infant. They are basically alone people because they avoid intimacy and relationship because of, because of the unavailability, hostility, and lack of fulfillment from the caregivers. Um, number four, can have dissociative symptoms, may disappear or disconnect without noticing it. Stay busy. Number five, stay busy and may believe in hard work and extreme independence. Number six, as a child, may have experienced a world emotionally isolated from parents. Number seven, reduces expectations from others because they're avoidant, basically, so they don't expect, mu expect much from others. Because they don't want to, you know, deal with the risk of, like, uh, maybe if I'm expecting from others, I'm demanding too much, so I'd better off not expect anything and just call it a day. Number eight, minimizes proximity or closeness seeking. Number nine, distances self from others and self. Number 10, engages in dry, logical, analytical thinking, and there's lack sensory, a lack of sensory or intuitive component to, to it. Number 11, may have factual memory of an event in the past, but no felt sense. Like they kind of don't make sense in their memory of the past. Number 12, see self as a loner. Number 13, often dismisses others and over-focuses on self. 
Number 14. Difficulty in experiencing and expressing emotions or needs. Because oftentimes what they go through is they they numb their uh, emotions and needs. And so they find it difficult to express them. Experience and express them, unfortunately. Number 15. Person may incorrectly determine that they are happiest alone and deny their need for others. But this is not just once or twice that, and that's it. This is a constant thing. This is a whole pattern. They like to believe that they are happiest on their own and they like to also deny the fact that they need others for help. Number 16. Have giving upon humans and relates to animals, nature, spirit helpers for support. Let's not call these people crazy, okay? They have been gone through enough shit in their lives. So probably that much of shit that they have gone through made them kind of give up on humans and seek help from animals, nature, spiritual helpers, uh, helpers for support. Sorry, uh, number 17, may feel alien, not belonging, outcast, and not seen, constantly. Number 18, may have a lot of energy stuck in their head without realizing it. 19, easy to be brilliant cognitively, but difficult to experience emotions. Number 20, fear, risk, wanting to belonging, as if as it feels overwhelmingly vulnerable. Uh, number 21, not available for relationships. Number 22, deny their own needs and resent their partner having or expressing needs. And harshly judge and label this partner weak for having needs. Emotion is a foreign language. And 23, not showing up or being present in a relationship, reenacting the way the parent may have been with them. And finally, number 24, difficulty with contact, visual or touch. So they may have many friends and engage in somewhat superficial, at a superficial level, but most issues do not arise. Like if they have conversation, it would be superficial on very... Very ridiculous, not really deep topics, and then just, that's it, you know? It's until they enter a deeper partner relationship where deeper needs may begin to surface and deeper trans transference issues get triggered. And that's when they are hitting the warning bell and they're gonna avoid the whole, like, relationship and partner. And it's sad from there. Number three of the attachment styles, ambivalent action, uh, oh my god, action. <laughs> Anxious, preoccupied attachment. The here today, gone tomorrow, anxious type of bonding leads to continuous frustration and insecurity in relating that may manifest as feeling incapable of ever being truly loved or lovable enough. And an overfocus on the other and an underfocus on the self in turn. So 
we need to create enough consistent and reliable contact for an ambivalent person to relax the overfocus on others and find and connect with themselves. Alright, let's begin with the symptoms. They avoid distance with others and fear abandonment. They seek closeness. Oh wait, there's not symptoms. There there are more notes. Like these are more notes. Okay. Um so they avoid distance with others and feel abandonment. They seek closeness but struggle with the fear of losing it. They often underestimate themselves and their real capacities. This comes from the parenting style they received of an on-again, off-again connection and unreliable love. There was no consistency. No, absolutely not. It's just random, it's up and down, it's a roller coaster. They may feel unloved and or unlovable due to the dynamics of the past and project the availability and lack of fulfillment on current partners. Sometimes in adult relationships, the person affected with this type of attachment reverses the pattern and becomes the unavailable one. And this is pretty sad, especially if they become parents themselves with children. So let's begin with the symptoms. Number one, have a lack of awareness of one's needs. Number two, feels undeserving, inadequate, or lovable. I mean, unlovable. Number three, insecure about whether needs will be met or if it's okay to have needs in a relationship in the first place. Number four, fear that having needs will result in abandonment because they will look like it. They will look at it from the point of view of, okay, now I'm being too needy for my partner. They're gonna not, they're not gonna take me anymore. They're not gonna handle me. I might as well not have any needs and just be there. And it is sad because then they will not stand up for themselves and ask for whatever it is they want. They're gonna depend on the other person to give them what they want. It's like they're expecting them. To give them their needs but they have never been able to express them because they're so afraid of establishing needs in a relationship may actually lead the partner to leave that is really sad um okay number five accept what is giving instead of asking for what one truly wants yeah man this that's harsh. Number six, always wanting, never having, so that even when one is given, given an opportunity to receive real love and caring, they may reject it because it is unfamiliar, intolerable, or not them. Because they're not used to it, so it's kind of like a strange thing that like interferes in their body, and they don't like it, so they reject it. It's the same thing when they are given the opportunity to receive real love and real care. They're not they're not going to accept it because they've always been under the influence that they are basically unlovable because of the uh the way that their parents uh, raised them. Number 7, experience chronic anxiety, frustration and despair regarding relationships. 
Number eight, always anxious to please, and everyone else is more important than them. Number nine, may give to get, and resent it when others don't give as much. Instead of getting, instead of asking for their needs and asking for their wants, they want to give to get. Giving has a purpose of receiving, and if they're not receiving as much, they become resentful of those people. And this is a codependent behavior. They lose themselves in relationships and overfocus on others' needs and desires, which is also related to number nine. Eleven has a belief that, sure, you love me today, but what about tomorrow? This causes their partners to never be able to do enough to prove their love trustworthy. It's like the narcissist, you know, um, because they're not, they're so terrified about tomorrow, what will happen. You love me today, but what about tomorrow? Sort of like always wanting the partner to do more to prove that their love is going to be enough. Always, forever. But it's sort of narcissistic to do this because then the, the partner is going to be extremely exhausted offering all of that care and all that love and you never feel like it's enough because you're so terrified of tomorrow. What if they never love you tomorrow? You're clinging onto this person too much that you are causing them to feel like they're never going to be able to be enough for you. Sad. Number 12, their fear may eventually be successful in pushing their partner away, self-creating their own worst. Uh, I mean, uh, what? Self-creating their own nightmare. Wow, painful. Number 13, feel abandoned and disconnected from others. Or disconnect from others. Number 14, project the past abandonment on the present relationship, which makes them not really present and unavailable, um, which also makes them reverse the situation where they become the unavailable ones. Number 15, obsessive focus on others, which also relates to number 10 and 9. Number 16, belief that relief only comes from others instead of themselves. Number 17, worry about what other people think of them. And they, I think, at this point, will have to work on the image and make sure it's perfect. And please listen to the episode, the picture of Dorian Gray, the cursed one. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of narcissistic also. Number 18, can't stay present, or should I say could have been it, because usually if we are always worried about what other people have to say, it's because we seek to please them, and it's also a codependent uh, behavior. Alright, okay, um, number 18, can't stay present in oneself's zone with oneself's own when, it, when in a relationship. Basically what I meant to say is they can't stay on their own in a relationship. 19. Hunger for closeness with simultaneous disabling fear of losing it. I mean, it's really painful to be in their shoes. 
Number 20, always defending against the next loss. Number 21, leaky boundaries between the past and present. And finally, has a similar dynamic of gambling addiction because of the award system of the partner's inconsistency. Hot and loving in one minute and cold and dismissing the next. Anxious, ambivalent, attached adults feel that conspicuous insecurity has been the most reliable means for gaining the attention of unreliable others. This is hard to give up, definitely. Because of this recurring threat of abandonment, anxious disruption may cause a person to be willing to please and to fee and to be fearful to assert their own needs, if they even have an awareness of what these needs are. Definitely painful. Now brace yourselves for the weak-hearted, because this one is the worst of all. Number four, disorganized attachment. When a parent is terrifying, we may become so frightened and confused in relating. Uh, where am I? Wait a minute. Okay. Um, the this this describes a conflict between two major biological drives that occur when a child looks for a safe attachment figure and finds instead a need to protect oneself through the survival instinct to detach from them. This is absolutely terrifying. So when a child who is like a pure, beautiful, white page is looking for a loving, caring figure to follow, what they find instead is something they have to run away from and protect themselves in order for them to survive. Even to the point where they must de detach. Ooh, here we go. Number one, attachment thrives with safety, and this attachment occurs with fear. The need to distance in order to survive counters the need to attach for nurturing, caregiving. Child cannot use parent to soothe as the parent is the source of fear. Number two, the primary attachment system is designed around safety for the child. When the child experiences physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, he or she develops disattachment. Number three, dual dilemma. The child experiences terror of the attachment figure and the loss of the safe haven needed for healthy attachment with minimal possibility of fight or flight to reduce threat. Number four, child remains stuck between approach and avoidance, can become a frozen, can become frozen in tro intolerance oh wait uh, can become frozen into trance like stillness that can move toward clinical dissociation this is very very dangerous number five child may develop social difficulties attention difficulties and lack of coherent mind 
They may become aggressive with others or exhibit controlling style due to the danger experienced with, with out-of-control scary parents. Brace yourselves for these next parts, please. Paradoxical messages from caregivers lead to overwhelming feelings most of the time and an inability to solve problems. Number seven, may use present tense to talk about the past. Incomplete sentences, prolonged pauses in speech, and cognitive disruption. They have the greatest risk for psychiatric disorders. And this, like these symptoms, like talking, using the present talk about the past, um, incomplete sentences, prolonged pauses, cognitive disruption, may sound like someone who's psychotic or going through schizophrenic uh, phase and they need psychiatric medicine in order to treat it at least. But that's, that's because of how impactful and dangerous the caregivers have been to this child growing up. Number eight, two major drives are in conflict, an innate drive to attach and an instinct, instinctual drive to, to, to survive, basically. Number nine, may feel like a failure in relationships due to the overwhelming and dissociative reactions that arise due to the intensity of the past relational trauma. Number 10, inner confusion about when connection is safe and when there is a valid need to run a fight. Number 11, cannot tolerate ambiguity. Lack of clarity can create inner turmoil and an anger or panic response. Number 12, inner chaos from exposure to unsafe and crazy making situations in the home. Number 13, they may feel disoriented or fragmented in the relationship because parents had a disorganizing effect on the person's attachment system. Number 14, they may have physical and emotional numbness, which is also worse, worse than attachment style number 3. This one is literal numbness. This one, like this person suffering from this kind of attachment, the dis disorganized attachment style, they have no physical or emotional like, experience. They're sort of like completely suppressed. Number 15, due to the need to dissociate, person with disorganized attachment often do not live in their bodies and they have trouble taking good care of them. If they experience a great deal of fear when they feel exiled, they may take extreme measures to feel them again, in the form of cutting, self-mutilation, or other harmful self-inflicted actions. Number 16. Fear of going crazy. Being exposed to crazy-making situations does not make one crazy, though. Number 17. Or so it seems. Or so it seems. Number 17. Memory difficulties. The developing hippocampus is temporarily disrupted by trauma, 
so that implicit nonverbal memory is disorganized. Also, later experience that was traumatic may remain, may remain without context, in a timeless and wordless way. In this state, the traumatized patient is destined to relive events and flashbacks, where all the senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or being touched or harmed during the past event, is experienced as to be actually happening again, which explains their absence in the moment right now. They might be totally, their brain might travel in time to go back to those traumatic, painful experiences, and where it's so intense and so horrifying that all their senses are engaged and they may appear as though they're acting like schizophrenic and crazy, but actually they're just reliving the past experiences in the present moment, which I think it would be terrifying to watch. Number 18, not knowing who or when to trust. And actually, before I move on, it's so terrifying to watch. And what's even more terrifying is stopping and staring and not doing anything about it. Not because we're not wanting to help the person, but because we feel like we're not going to be able to help this person. Most painful and debilitating thing is to watch someone suffer in front of you and you feel like you can't do a thing to help them. <sighs> Painful stuff. Number 19. Confusion about evaluating danger signals because they have needed to override their survival instincts. Number 20. Chronic need to fight or flee the relationship. Number 21, sense of safety severely lacking. Number 22, dissociative behavior. Number 23, not present. Number 24, partner feels abandoned due to the associative reactions and the disorganized adult's difficulties in maintaining presence. Number 25, partner may become afraid of the sudden shifts in states of consciousness and the extreme emotions of rage or panic that sometimes accompany them alternating with eerie dissociative behavior. Um, okay, and I mean, the partner is not like the partner of the victim, but the victim themselves. They are afraid of sudden shifts in states and of consciousness and extreme emotions of rage and panic. It's not the partner who's of the victim who's suffering. The partner is really shocked and would be in a position where they're incapable of helping them unless they take them to the hospital and get them treated as quickly as possible. And finally, number 26. Night terrors or flashbacks may cause the disorganized adult to act out, and dissociation may limit their awareness of impact it is having on them and their relationship. Absolutely terrifying. Patterns of attachment disruption are easily transferred through generations. When we heal our own wounds, we break this 
unfortunate chain of behavior. By taking responsibility to heal ourselves, we can enjoy healthier adult relationships while also healing our relationships with our parents and children. What we, what we can take from all of this, basically. It's not about them changing, but more about how, how we want to be in our relationships. And the choices we make will greatly influence our connection with our partners, family, at work, and with friends. So, the choices we make of whatever kind of behavior we choose to do, or how we look at the world, or how we treat people, will definitely influence everyone around us. And that would include our family, the people at work, our friends, and even our romantic partners. But what kind of choices can we make that will help us get better? For example, one choice that will help us create stronger, healthier relationships with ourselves and others is to go back and listen to the first attachment style and take a look at what they do and try to follow them, follow what they do because they are securely attached and they're safe with themselves and with the people around them. So the choice, for example, of following such attachment style would be beneficial not only for ourselves, but also for the people around us. And a huge healing bonus is added when we seek the first attachment style. So let's all choose to follow the first attachment style. Even though we might not have, we have, ugh, we might have not been, we might not have been raised with a secure attachment style. Maybe a dissociative, maybe an anxious, or maybe a disorganized kind of um, attachment. But if we can work on ourselves and do what people who have been raised in a secure attachment style do, we can absolutely notice a difference each and every day and win each and every day. And with the small wins come the big wins. We can do it if we choose to and commit to it. If we want to heal, one of the most effective ways is to go seek therapy, right? But what if you can't? I mean, if you can, you should absolutely go for it. It's the best choice you can make. But if you can't, financially, emotionally, I don't know. But usually it would be financially. For whatever reason. You can't. How about you listen to these types of podcasts which 
share information for free, audio information, but definitely treasure that is free and that helps, hopefully, someone out there who's in need of support. And, um, uplifting, uplifting messages to hear. You know, we can be, we can be supportive to each other and we can help each other with the simplest things that don't require a lot of money and a lot of spending and a lot of tracking of budget. But if we can, we can always choose the healthiest choice. In this context here, we can absolutely choose to follow the secured attachment style. So, what I'd like to get out of this episode is the fact that if you can't go to therapy and seek professional help, try doing so, but with cheaper less uh, costly ways. Start by listening to podcasts, reading blogs out there on the internet, borrowing books from the library about psychology and about self-help and about just, you know, healthy relationships and narcissism and how to avoid narcissism. Or how to, not survive it, but how to Avoid it and eliminate it in your life so that you can live your best life. So how about we do that? If you want to heal. Because not everyone can go seek therapy, right? Not everyone can go and seek the most helpful, most direct and most efficient way to heal. But we can heal each and every day doing the smallest things. So, one thing I'd like to recommend is for you to follow the secured attachment style. Do what they do. Change your mindset. And notice how after every time you do one of those things, you're becoming a better person each day. And be grateful for that. Because all of us, each and every one of us on this planet has the secure attachment innate. It's within us. It's just that the environment we have been raised in sort of, you know, distorted that image for us and made us look at love from a perspective of hatred and evil and abuse. And feeling unloved and unlovable and unworthy. But just going back to the origin of everything. To the innate attachment style. We can see the world differently and we can see ourselves becoming better. Definitely better each day. So yeah, 
I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, and I will see you in the next one. So, folks, that's a wrap for this episode, and as you can guess, this is my goodbye speech. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I hope you found this episode enlightening to some degree. You can always like, comment, favorite, share, and even subscribe to this podcast here on Anchor FM or any other platform where, where you'll find my podcast available, like Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and recently I've added my podcast in TuneIn as well as Red Circle. That's where you'll find my podcast also available. I'd also appreciate your support for a very small monthly fee. If you have any topic suggestions, questions, some feedback you'd like to share, don't hesitate to send me a brief voice message and I'll take care of that. So to conclude, this was Self-Evolution Regardless. I'm your host, Maram, and I will see you in the next episode.